Oh, let's praise him some more. I can't get enough. After that preaching last night, there should be no question. I'm apostolic. I'm going to stay apostolic. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. While you're turning to the second book of Samuel, chapter number 12, let me say that I feel it to be an incredible honor to stand before you today. Appreciate so much the trust vested in me from this great youth committee. And I also want to salute our elders that are among us, great men of God, saints of God that are here. Head and shoulders beyond that, I want to honor my pastor and sister Wilson here today. That's all right. Every time I'm in their presence, I try to honor them. And then it's great to have Sister Mayo and my daughter with me here today. Amen. Let's begin reading here in verse number one of 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And the Lord sent Naaman, I'm sorry, Nathan, unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which had bought and nourished up, And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. One more time, verse number four. Through the lips of a prophet, and there came a traveler. And I want to talk to us here for the next little while about beware of the traveler. Beware of the traveler. 
Let's put our Bibles down and lift our hands and our voices once again and give God great praise. Oh, I like that song. He's good forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. In this incredible... And yet I am assured familiar passage of scripture. The prophet of God is sent to the king with a message. Unlike any other message I can find in Holy Writ. But first before we explore this incredible message. We need some familiar background. In the previous chapter, beginning in verse number one, the scripture says, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. If we are not careful, we will rush over words that are as deep as pools and strong as timbers. Because already the Word of God is giving us incredible insight into a situation that is about to expire and expose something very hideous in the life of a king. The Bible says that after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. This is an idiom that simply speaks to us about a time of year when the former rains appear and there is ubiquitous rain and great effort and resource that is required to move armies and military armament. That there is a unilateral agreement that we'll be back here again in the spring. And so there is a armistice of sorts that is an impasse that is achieved and kings go their way and when the former reigns yield to the latter reigns that are spotty and now dry ground is about to appear kings come out of their corner and begin once again the struggle and in this case to increase the borders of God's property but at a time when David should have gone forth to battle the Bible is clear and wants us to know that David tarried still at Jerusalem What's also interesting about this passage of Scripture is that David did send the commander of the host, Joab, and the armies, 
But interestingly, he also sent his servants with him. It appears that David wanted an empty house. It appears that David wanted nobody around. Much like somebody that gets up in the middle of the night and goes and clicks on the computer when it should stay off. Begin to go places where they ought not. I believe that we are seeing the mechanics of an addiction here. And I realize my responsibility before you this morning, and so I will try to do my very best to back this up with scriptural support, lest you think that I am beating the air. We are in an era of addictions. Amen. Every single second in America, almost $4,000 is spent on internet pornography in America online. 28,700 viewers every second in America are viewing pornography. Every second, 372 letters are asking for a particular website in America. But I'm going to tell you, God is the answer for America. Whether this war that is being restarted had to be started on this particular day that we find 2 Samuel 11 and 1, I do not know. But it is highly unusual that David orders an empty house. The city is not completely left without guards, but there are none in the king's house. And the Bible says in the next verse, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman. He looked down into his neighbor's house whose husband was at war. It almost appears that David knew when to look because the Bible is specific about the time. It almost appears that David knew where to look because the Bible is specific about where. And David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. At face value, and to the unobservant, it almost appears like this was just a weakness, a moment of weakness in the life of King David. But I submit to you this morning that this has been a premeditated act that was calculated in the heart and the mind of the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. Before we go any further, I want to introduce some players in this. 
There is Uriah, the man, a mighty man of David that is at war, who is actually a general of David's. He had a reputation of being an exemplary soldier and David's next door neighbor. There is also Bathsheba, who does not really need a lot of introduction. Her part in here appears to be unwilling. We will let it go at that. We then have Joab, the commander of the army. He is a nephew to King David, strong, imposing, and ruthless. Following his murderous revenge and the slaying of Abner, I believe that there began a difficult and tenuous relationship that existed between Joab in the throne. I believe that there was a mutual admiration that existed between uh, Joab and David. David was the giant killer. He was the great emancipator. And, and Joab had a respect unto David. But Joab was a physically imposing individual. Uh, some biblical expositors have believed that Joab actually uh, killed Abner because it was out of revenge and others believe it was because that possibly Abner would have been an heir to being the general or the commander of the host. But David was greatly displeased with the ruthless murder of Abner. And I believe and I submit to you this morning that David filed away in the back of his mind that Joab was a man that was ruthless and would take care of things. And so ultimately, Joab's loyalty wanes when the Bible makes a statement, though he turned not after Absalom, he turned after Adonijah. And ultimately, disloyalty did him in. And then there is King David who needs little introduction to us. Simply the greatest military strategist in the history of the nation of Israel. Champion of God's people. Psalmist. Anointed leader. Integrous. Submitted. Champion of the common man. And so David finds out that there is now evidence of this adulterous affair. You know the story. He calls for Uriah to come in, has him eat and drink at his table in an effort for David to cover his tracks and have Uriah go in unto his wife. But Uriah had greater integrity than the king. One would have almost thought that at this juncture that hot arrows of conviction would have stuck into the conscience and the heart of David, recognizing that this man is more noble than I am. This man has greater integrity than I have. David, seeing the obstinate integrity of Uriah, uh, moved into the next dimension of this, this insidious plan, and that was to ultimately remove Uriah. And so he sends by courier um, a plan to uh, go against his own strategy 
and to defy his own military rules, which is to place a man within an arrow's flight of a wall. And so he has Uriah placed within arrow shot. Great men retreat from him, and a great man dies. Following months after David's sin, David began to be tormented because of his guilt and the condemnation that was within him. The Bible says in Psalm 32 and 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. There is nothing worse than the torment of a guilty conscience. Bible says, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. David began to view God differently. In future verses, David said, my friends stand afar off from me. Because we begin to view people through the, through the lens of rejection. We begin to project on others because of what we feel about ourselves. King David went on to say, for day and night they, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He dried up in his relationship with God and being real with himself. He also wrote Psalm 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, for thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh, because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of mine sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Now I know this is a little different this morning, but I'm in the Holy Ghost. I just want to tell somebody, it's time to get the condemnation out and put the blood back where it belongs. You are rendered ineffectual when you are under condemnation. David wrestles with his guilt and his wounded spirit for months until finally God sends him a man of God. Aren't you glad for the man of God? This passage re reveals several things in our text this morning that there is a unique carefulness that is being employed by Nathan the prophet. And it is a carefulness that is, that is wise. Because to approach a king that is not in his right spiritual mind and has left the moorings and rectitude of righteousness, it can be dangerous. It was always dangerous to go in before a king wrong. The book of Esther tells us that. And so Nathan comes into the king with carefulness. And he begins with an anointed story. 
And this is the story. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing. The prophet Nathan continues looking for a reaction from the king. Because I believe that what is taking place here is that there is a careful and studious study for the right response from the king. It is imperative, regardless of whatever spiritual condition that we are in, that we respond correctly to the word of God. David's judgment system was on trial right here. When the, when the man of God comes and talks about your sin and your situation, it's no time to fold our arms and get a little attitude. It's time to hit the altar and let God grant us repentance. Mom and dad, it's no time to fold our arms and say, well, that's just the pastor. God is watching how we respond to the preached word of God that he might furnish repentance. If this is to continue to consecutive generations, I recognize my responsibility regardless of who is preaching and who is ministering. I must respond to the word of God. My children need to see me dance. My children need to see me weep. My children need to see me pray. My children need to hear me repent. David's judgment system was being checked. We find a unique scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 23. The servant of the Lord must not strive, apt to teach, patient, gentle unto all men, instructing those that oppose themselves. And that is where we see our king. He is in opposition to his principles. He is in opposition to his integrity. He is in opposition to the word of God. That's why I've, when I go to a pulpit, we don't have any services to wait, breth- waste, brethren. When I go to the pulpit, I can't go with an axe to grind. I've got to get out of the way in the arena. And I've got to let God grant somebody repentance so they can liberate themselves from the snare of the devil. The pulpit is no place to be mean. It's a place to say, God, you've got to reach somebody. Oh, thank God for our pastors in the house. Somebody praise him. I wouldn't be here without my pastor. How about you?
David's judgment system was being tested by God. One of the indicators you can usually tell that there's a moral breakdown that has begun to infect the convictions and the belief of an individual is if they start glossing over convictions that were once held. And so the prophet is standing here watching with steely eyes to watch the body language of the king and that little quiver at the edge of his lips when David finally erupts and says, surely this man will die. And the prophet said, he's ready for repentance. Even if the man of God preaches something you don't like, but it's in the word of God, say amen anyhow. Your kids need to see you say amen. Your kids need to see you say, preach it, preacher. Your kids need to see you get excited about anointed preaching. Your kids need to see a liberation and emancipation. When the word of God is preached, when your judgment system is operating correctly, you say, thank you, preacher. I'm a better man for it. I'm now liberated from it. I'm now loosed from it. God is trying to set David free. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated. David's conscience still worked. I believe that God is coming to David before David becomes a reprobate. And David says, and he shall surely restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no pity. David still operated with both oars in the water. Though he committed this great evil, he still had a judgment system that operated. I want to be around people that have sound judgment. Honey, if television was wrong 40 years ago, don't try to make it right now. Something ain't working right. I am looking at the promise of the next generation. And if it was wrong for our elders, it's wrong today. Don't 
come back and try to tell me that your pastor was too hard. No, 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 no. He was a man of God. I don't even have time to talk to you if you talk like that. Because his judgment system still operated. Repentance has been granted. Thou art the man. And without even a hesitation, without even running to the bathroom and making sure every hair is in place, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Every part of this equation was leading up to this. The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shall not die. I don't care how far out I get. By the grace of God, there's only one God. I don't care how far away I'm here by the grace of God, but if it be, there's still only one way to be baptized. You must be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongue. You must live a godly, separated, holy. You shall not die. Clap your hands. I've got to be sure that I'm giving God the right answer when the word comes forth. This is incredible in its weightiness that the king has committed two capital offenses. And he shall not die. I, like you, believe in the Word of God that said that David was a man after God's own heart. And I've heard many reasons that would support that, read many reasons that would support that. I believe that. But one of the other factors that God helped me to understand is that David was an anomaly among worldly kings. You see, David lived and reigned in a part of time known as the Bronze Age. And it was widely accepted among kings, monarchs, despots, if you please, during the Bronze Age, that they could have any woman in their kingdom You may remember the story, Abram and Sarah finding themselves in Egypt and recognizing very soon, Abram started to calculate real quick that I'm a dead man, 
unless I come up with something around here. You, remain, you may remember the story with Isaac and Rebekah before Abimelech. He calculated very quickly that I'm a dead man. David was reigning in a time when a king could make any selection he wanted to. But David being a man after God's own heart was separated from a worldly privilege that was against the word of God. In fact, and I apologize in advance for this appearing to be crude, but we're adults here, most of us. That in some cultures, it was almost considered to be an honor for a man to supply his wife. David being a man after God's own heart, a great military strategist, a psalmist anointed of God, was also different among any other king. Until the traveler came. What does this word traveler mean? It simply means one that is on, on a unceasing journey. Like a salesman. Nathan uses this terminology to describe that there is one that has come that will be facilitated. The book of Job chapter number one pulls the mask off of the traveler. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. When the traveler comes, he is not going to the poor man's house. When the traveler appears, he is not going to the denominational world. When the traveler appears, he is not going to the charismatics. He's got them in his hip pocket. He wants your integrity. He wants your separation. He wants your purity. He wants your consecration. He wants your dedication. I don't want to be like anybody else. I'm not worried about being like any other church. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to live by the word of God. I want to be led by the Holy Ghost. When the traveler came to Job, he took away his possessions. He took away everything. And finally, his wife comes out and says, Wilt thou keep thine integrity? I want to submit to my brothers and sisters that when the traveler comes, he is looking for you to forfeit your integrity and your walk with God and your humility and your... He wants you to exploit your position. 
wants you to exploit that you're the pastor. He wants you to exploit that you're a board member. He wants you to exploit that you're a youth leader and take advantage of the common man. Oh, let's clap our hands and give Jesus praise. I'm not interested in fame. I'm not interested in possessions. I'm like Brother Wilmoth preached under the divine unction of God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about God. And I've got to keep my integrity because it's about God. I've got to be holy because it's about God. I've got to be separated because it's about God. like every other king and devised a plan he thought it out he became its architect it could almost be inferred that he mapped out this present battle that they were engaged in to get everybody out of the city the servants out of the house And just as Samson became as other men, in one fell swoop, David became as other kings. The Bible seems to indicate to us that there is a season or a time that will come to all of us in which there is intensified evil. Now I'll just go ahead and use myself here. I can tell. Maybe it's an alignment of misunderstanding with the person or or there's some tragedy that has happened in somebody's life and they begin to view me differently and I can almost tell you when those moments are that I can feel the traveler looking for a weakness in me looking for me to go ahead and get on pain medication instead of bowing my knee and get on prayer maybe he's looking for me to go to a counselor instead of going to the wonderful counselor I'm telling you the apostle Paul said stand in the evil day for we wrestle not We are wrestling against spirits that are hoping to take us out and take us down. Come on, somebody shout with me. I ain't fallen by the grace of God. I'm taking heed today that I'm going to stand in the evil day. I'm not going to... be preaching to somebody here that the traveler's already parked in your life you need to come to church not stay away from church let me preach to this congregation we are like king king david and that we are called out of the sheep coat we are a people after god's own heart we are anointed we love to sing song and worship god we are not afraid of giants we are under submission
sister, let me tell you something. When a bunch of so-called Pentecostal girls begin to cut their hair, stand on the word of God. Don't tell me 1 Corinthians 11 is not an apostolic mandate. It's the traveler. Young man, if there's a spirit telling you you're a homosexual, stand on the word of God. He made them both male. And Well, I guess I'll just stay at home today. Stand on the word. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Well, I'm not going to listen to the pastor. Stand on the word. Obey them that have the rule over thee. We need to rebuke the traveler. He is not after anybody but you and me. He wants your integrity. He wants your purity. He wants your dedication. He wants your consecration. He wants your devotion. He wants your soul winning. But he can't have it. There's a young person here today that needs to just square their shoulders and shake it off and say it's about time that I quit wobbling all over and I dig into the word of God. The traveler's coming. He's not after the poor. He's after the rich in spirit. He's after the leaders. He's after the integrity. Come on, young person, let's dig in this morning and say, no, 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 no. I've talked to so many. I've talked to so many. And I've looked into their eyes. I said, ma'am, what happened? You You were as stalwart as an oak tree. But today... You're, you're, you're hollow. You've got form, but no content. And I've heard it several times, pastor. I don't know where it started. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how I got this far off. I don't know how it happened. It's always, and I don't know how it happened. There's always, but I'm telling you, King David, if he could stand here this morning and have to declare to us, David would know exactly where it is. Maybe he, he quit praying at his regular time. Maybe he quit counseling with the men of God. Maybe he, he stayed away from the word of God. But every time that the traveler gains an entrance and influence, it begins with something. One of the most powerful men that I'd ever seen used of God. I came into the church not knowing anything about anything and I saw a man so used so powerful and so mightily used of God and several years later he had fallen a great fall and I'll never forget that I saw him and I told him I said what happened brother what happened to you what took you to being so powerful and mightily used but today you are a fornicator and you're living in your sin he said I'll tell you where it was 
I quit praying every day. Lift your hands and give God praise. It's time to stand on the word of God and pray without ceasing. Come on, Simon. Satan has desired to have you. Nobody escapes a visit from the traveler. Nobody escapes a visit. He is drawn to integrity. He is drawn to purpose. He is drawn to purity. He is drawn to determination. He is drawn to desire. It's so easy to become intoxicated with all of the gadgetry and all of the stuff in this world that we really don't need. It is so, it is too easy. And then one step leads to another step that leads to another step that leads to another step that leads to another step. And before it's over, we're in a place that we never dreamed where we would be. I don't know, Brother Paul Bollmeister is here. He brought a young man to church years ago. I gave this young man Bible studies and personal visitation, worked with him. He had been previously, he had been a gang member. One of his dearest friends was shot in a drive-by shooting. They asked this young man, Benjamin, I'll call him, to say a few words. And God used him mightily in that funeral. He touched hearts, touched the hearts of his friends that were in South Sacramento gangs. Not long after that, Sister Mayo and I began evangelizing. We were out for a couple years and went back to Sacramento to preach. The first thing I said, I said, where's Benjamin? He said, well, he's, he's in the prayer room. He knew you were coming back. He came to the church to meet you. When this young man stepped out of the prayer room and I looked into his eyes, I could tell that there was nobody home. The once on fire young man that had spoken great things to win gang members in Sacramento. And finally, after a little bit of small talk, we went back into the prayer room, sanctuary, Calvin and Bradshaw. I said, man, what's going on? He said, oh, it's going pretty. I said, no, 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 come on. He said, Brother Mayo, I just stopped by. I just stopped by for one short visit. And I was intending to leave. And finally, a girl showed up. We head back out evangelizing, and I got the report soon afterwards that this young man had lost his mind. And before it was all over, he had climbed over the fence at the bishop's house. The man that preached chain 
him. The man that preached him out of hell. He had been turned so badly that he was now trying to do harm to the very man that preached him into the kingdom. Because when the traveler comes, he wants it all. Neither you and I can ultimately somehow plead with God and say, no, never send him again. I can take you back to places in my history where I knew he was watching and waiting for me to make the wrong move. And so the best offense this morning is a great defense. Let's lift our hands and let's pray. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, he's on a journey seeking who he may devour. Lay your hand over on the shoulder of another young person. You may never know what is going on in their conscience and in their heart right now. You may never know what kind of call is on their life. You may never know what kind of wager has been waged. And Satan said, I'll bet I can get to him before you get to him. I rebuke the stranger. I rebuke his lies. I rebuke all of his backslidden proponents and witnesses. I rebuke his voice. I rebuke his testimony. I rebuke his delusions. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Pray for one another. Pastors, let's pray for one another. There may be a pastor here today that nobody would ever know that was waiting in the wings of darkness just beyond your conscientiousness. I'm going to tell you, A good strategy is to stay in the book. A good strategy is to stay in revival. A good strategy is to be a soul winner. A good strategy is to develop a deep, relentless prayer life. The traveler is coming after this generation, which is pure, which is holy, which is separated. My God, I don't need Hollywood. I don't even care what happens in Hollywood. I don't care about any of that. Lift your voice and pray. There's a, you know, people that have already fallen to the traveler. Pray for them today. Pray for people that have fallen to the spell of the traveler.
If you haven't gotten free in this conference, this morning is your time. Lift your hands in the air and say, God, I would be free. I would be free. Continue to pray one for another until there's a liberation and a freedom and an emancipation in this house. Just because my family don't go to that church don't mean I'm not going to church. Just because my friends are backslidden, it doesn't mean I've got a backslide. The traveler cannot have my marriage. The traveler cannot have my children. The traveler cannot have my mind. The traveler cannot have my consecration. He cannot have my convictions. He cannot have my desire. He cannot have my separation. It's not for sale. Ah, let's pray!